Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Each day we'll look at a text from the weekly readings from the Westgate Church Bulletin. We will look at background material and also application of the text. So once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Hi there. I am so glad that you are listening to another Thursday edition of the Illuminated Word Podcast. I'm David McLean, and we are in the Week traditionally known as Holy Week. Today is traditionally called Monday Thursday or, or Holy Thursday. And what's special about today is it's, it's the day that commemorates the Lord's Supper, uh, the, the time where you know Christ kind of models what we call today the Lord's Supper or communion. Uh, and of course, during this meal is when Jesus predicts everything that's going to follow, uh, you know, starting just shortly after this dinner, uh, this, this supper he has with his disciples. He'll be arrested and then tried and ultimately crucified and and dies. But we know that's not the end of the story. And it's good, I I believe, during this week to kind of stop and think about all the things that happened during that week so long ago, starting on what we call Palm Sunday and leading up to, of course, Easter Sunday. There's so many things that happens that, that Jesus encounters, that Jesus goes through, and yet he knows he knows everything that's going to happen, and he still willingly walks that journey. You know, on on that, that, that Thursday when he's sitting in the upper room with his disciples and he's predicting everything that happens, he ends up predicting that one of his own is going to betray him. And, of course, we know that Judas ultimately betrays him, which leads us actually to our reading today uh, and kind of what happens after the resurrection. And they've got this empty spot that they got to fill because Judas... Uh, you know, made his choices and and did what he did. So we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 12. It reads, Then they returned to Jerusalem, they being the disciples or apostles. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. It was Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, son the, Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these were continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And during these days, Peter stood up among the brothers, and the number of people who were together was about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, uh, that the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of David, spoke in advance about Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was one of our number and was allotted a share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. He fell head first and burst open in the middle, and all his insights spilled out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem, so that in their own language that field is called Hakodamah, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his dwelling become desolate, and let no one live in it, and let someone else take his position. Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, from among these it is necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this apostolic service that Judas left to go to his own place. And then they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was numbered with the eleven apostles. 
And so we have this scene here after Jesus is taken up into heaven. The disciples immediately return to Jerusalem. And it says that they were continually praying with uh, all of the disciples, all the followers of Jesus. Uh, basically, they end up having a prayer meeting. And Jesus tells them right before this that they're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. They're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so they, they returned back and they waited and they prayed. And then in the 10 days of waiting between Jesus' ascension and the arrival of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, there's just, there's just this notable event that really has no parallel uh, in the New Testament. We have a successor, a successor being chosen uh, for this, uh, we'll call it office, that's vacated by Judas. We don't see this anywhere else. If you go to Acts chapter 12, you see in the first two verses that uh, James, the son of Zebedee, is executed by Herod Agrippa. But there's no account of someone that's selected to fill his office. And so, so why do they need to find a replacement here? What's the difference uh, in these two situations? Well, I think it's really the, the purpose, the mission behind uh, each story. Uh, Jesus has ascended. He has appointed the disciples. They've gone from being disciples to apostles. And that changes their mission. That changes uh, what, that changes what they're going to do from here on out. Uh, we know that disciple means follower or learner. An apostle means messenger or missionary. So they're moving from just being a learner to now being the teacher, really, the missionary, the messenger. And the New Testament consistently presents Christianity as, as an extension uh, or a fulfillment of uh, the promise made to Abraham, the covenant uh, made with Abraham. Um, they, they never do away with the law of Moses. They never do away with the Messianic hope of Israel or the Abraham covenant. Um, I mean, on the contrary, the church is seen as the outcome of both of these. And so there's this idea that has to be 12. You have to have, um, like in Luke chapter 22, Jesus promises that in the great messianic feast, the apostles would sit on the thrones and judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And so for the apostles to represent themselves to uh, all the other Jews around them as the fulfillment of Israel's hope, uh, I think they saw the need to bring their number back to 12. And, of course, the mission was different. By the time that James dies in uh, the year 44, the primary work of the apostles was finished. And there was really no successor that was needed. Um, and as we'll see from Acts chapter 1, uh, the fundamental requirements, or as we saw in this reading, sorry, that we just read, we, will see, we see that the fundamental requirements for Judas's replacement had nothing to do with uh, his skills or his ability to govern or anything like that. See, the, the role was to bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus. Peter says there's two requirements. They have to have been with us the entire time in Jesus' ministry, and they had to witness the resurrection. And so they had to bear witness to everything that had happened. Uh, the apostles were not uh, just the church, but they were witnessing, uh, they were a witnessing group that this testimony that the church is formed is built around. Um, and so there was a need for a 12th. There was a need in their eyes to have the 12th so that they could continue to be the fulfillment of the, the Jew, or at least, at least the Jews that would look at them would see 12. 12 meant something. 12 was a significant number. And also their mission was different. 
they were they're now tasked with it's time to grow the church. It's time to go out and be messengers and missionaries. Um, and so I just find it interesting uh, that we have this replacement for Judas. And then it's like Luke takes a little um, little side street, if you will. He mentions uh, Judas, and I wonder I wonder if it's uh, you know, he's writing to Theophilus. I wonder if it's, you know, Theophilus is reading and he sees Judas. He's like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that guy. You know, I, I wonder what happened to that guy. And so uh, Luke takes a, a break, really, to remind us of who Judas is. He says that Judas, you know, what happened with Judas happened because it had to fulfill uh, the prophecy, had to fulfill what was said so long ago it was going to happen. And then he says, now, you know, this man, he acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. He fell headfirst and burst open the middle. All his insides spilled out, and, and this became known as the field of blood. Well, I guess he's just kind of updating everybody. Oh, by the way, here's what happened uh, to Jesus, uh, to Judas. Um, and so I don't think he is, uh, you know, just dogging Judas or anything. I think he's actually being quite gracious to Judas. By saying, you know, he did what he did because it was the fulfillment of prophecy. He still made that choice. Um, but again, it's all about fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy to the Jews that would be hearing their messages. Um, he kind of interrupts his narrative to let readers know that, that, that Judas reminded him of the betrayal and what had, come, what had happened to him. And of course, it could be a little confusing because Matthew 27 says that uh, Judas was uh, seized with remorse or overcome with remorse. And so he returned the 30 silver coins he had paid, uh, been paid to betray Jesus, and then he went away and hanged himself. Um, but this says that he bought the field, and then he hung himself, and he fell, uh, and, his, and his gut split open, and you know, kind of a gruesome, gross image. And, but if, if you find some kind of contradiction, which some people will say, oh, this is, a, this is a scriptural contradiction within the Gospels. Like, ooh, look, the Bible's not perfect. Well, it's just, it's the way that they tell the stories. Each one of them tell a, a slightly different version of some of the stories. But I don't think it contradicts each other. I think the sequence of events is, is most likely Judas was you know, grieved beyond the possibility of being comforted when he saw what exactly had happened, um, the events that he set in motion, leading to Jesus' death. So then I think he went back to the Jewish authorities, and he returned the money they paid him, and he committed suicide by hanging himself. I think he laid there, or he hung there long enough. Uh, he was an unclaimed body. Um, hang there long enough, kind of rotted, I guess you could say. Uh, and eventually, uh, he fell from his makeshift gallows into this potter's field. This decomposing body you know, burst open from the impact of the fall. And then the owner of the potter's field, he couldn't use it anymore. It's kind of gross. So he sold it to the authorities for 30 pieces of silver. You know, uh, blood money couldn't, could not be put back into the, the treasury. So technically, the field belonged to Judas and his heirs because Judas died there. Uh, so they just kind of took that 30 pieces of silver and bought that field anyways. Um, and then I believe the field was used as a burial place for the, you know, the unclaimed bodies of strangers who died in Jerusalem. This was a place... That was known to everyone. And of course, you know, some people use this as a, a treatment on suicide. I'm not getting into that uh, because this is the story of them replacing uh, Judas, replacing, ultimately choosing Matthias. Uh, and so, again, Peter lays out two qualifications. He had to be with Jesus during the missionary, and, during his ministry, and be with the, uh, the disciples. 
and he had to witness the resurrection. These are two very, very important things. Um, it's not like we, you know, it's not like sometimes how we pick leaders, you know, well, we feel like he is a good man. We feel like that he's a good leader. He has some natural qualities, you know, some natural tendencies. People look up to him. He just seems to be nice. He seems to be kind. Two very important qualifications to be an apostle. And then they did this casting of lots. What does that mean? Well, I was always told casting of lots was uh, kind of like rolling dice, you will, a rolling die. Um, but it was some kind of, you know, some people say it's gambling. Uh, some people say, or like gambling. And some people say it's like rolling die. Some people uh, say different things about it. Uh, sometimes I even heard somebody tell me when I was younger, it's like drawing straws or drawing sticks. You know, whoever draws the shortest stick uh, loses or wins, I guess in this case. Whatever it was, whatever casting lots was, it was some way they believed in divination that God would use this uh, casting of lots to answer their prayers, to to give them direction, to to give them clarity in some ways. You know, we believe today that God will, you know, uh, uh, give clarity to through the Holy Spirit to us. Uh, through thoughts, through minds. You know, if we're trying to pick, uh, let's say we're choosing new elders uh, for our congregation. You know, we uh, we believe that God will give us direction uh, in in many different ways. So we don't have this magical divination thing that we do anymore. But what's important to note is that when the disciples uh, knew it was time to replace Judas, they started with not casting lots, not voting, not nominating. They started with prayer. They went to God in prayer. As a matter of fact, when they came down from the mountain with Jesus, the first thing they did was start praying. They knew the Holy Spirit was coming. That's what Jesus said. And so they started praying. You know, I don't know about you, but I struggle in my prayer life. I struggle with the first place to start with is prayer. You know, if I do go to God in prayer, it sometimes is the second, third, or fourth step. Because we tend to rely on our own abilities, our own things, what we can accomplish. We want to put forth a plan and say, this is what we're going to do. This is what I choose. It's almost like we, we choose and then we ask God to bless the choice that we make or that we've already made. Whereas the disciples, the apostles, started with prayer and asked for guidance and asked for an answer and asked for, you know, just ask God to, to show us which one of these two you would like, you want to take the place of Judas. Do you start with prayer or do you tend, tend to start with your own plan? I think that's, that's very interesting and, well, not interesting. It's very challenging for me. And the other thing is too, is, is the fact that now the disciples go from primarily being called disciples to primarily be calling, primarily being called apostles. Uh, even Jane, even Jesus' brothers are there. And in John, we see that Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him, but yet they're there among the disciples. They're there in the meeting. They're with the apostles. Something changed them, and it was the resurrection of Jesus. They were one of the appearances that Jesus made in the 40 days after his resurrection. Jesus' resurrection changed them. Jesus' resurrection changed the disciples and gave them a new mission and changed their, their trajectory. You know, whereas the disciples were doubters, the disciples were still, you know, questioning who Jesus was, even though they saw the amazing things that he did, they still didn't fully grasp who he was. And now they are the messengers. 
of, of Jesus. They are the ones who are going to be tasked with building his church uh, and going on and converting people. The resurrection changed him. The resurrection changed so much. I, I believe that's what Chris is going to look at in, our, in the sermon on Sunday. But I, I wonder if we haven't lost the, the power of the resurrection. It's just something that we talk about. Something like, oh, yeah, yeah, we know. Oh, yeah, Jesus was resurrected on the third day. And we've you know just allotted it to a holiday uh, once a year where we're more concerned about Easter egg hunts than we are about the resurrection of Jesus and the power that come with that and the way it changes lives. I, I don't want to get on, on a rant because, uh, I, I mean, I like Easter. I like Easter eggs. <laughs> Uh, I like candy, but I don't want to lose the, I don't want to lose the importance of the resurrection in my life, what it means for not only me and for you, but for the generations that have come since that, that faithful day when the tomb was empty and for the generations that are going to come after us. It changes lives. If we're following Christ, if we say we're following Christ, but not much has changed, if we don't find ourselves looking and acting differently than those around us who don't have you know, the, the joy that was supposed to come with being a Christ follower, then something's wrong. I think tomorrow we're going to look at just this amazing scene of Pentecost. Um, if you're listening today and, and uh, you have, if Easter hasn't come yet, I hope that you join us uh, Sunday morning, 9 o'clock in the upper parking lot. Come for breakfast beforehand, 8 to 9. Uh, but come and celebrate with us the power of the resurrection and everything that Christ did for us that day. I hope to see you Sunday. Between now and then, I hope that you have a blessed week. I hope that you are being a blessing to those around you if at all possible. Until next time.